Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 176 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today I have with us Jennifer Kramer. She's an artist, a licensed art therapist, and an online coach who helps women overcome the lasting effects of narcissistic abuse. She's the creator of The Redefined Process, an approach that uses a combination of spontaneous art making and responsive writing. Jennifer developed this process while recovering from her own experience with narcissistic abuse and discovered that the key to growth was to reconnect with and redefine her own identity. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and have this conversation. So I've been following you on Instagram and I highly recommend that you go over and follow her. She's a really, it's a really good account to follow. She's got some great practical things you can do. And, um, I've really enjoyed her Instagram account. I would, I would like for you to tell our listeners what art therapy is in case people haven't heard of that. And how is it different from other forms of treatment that people might be getting? Yeah, so so art therapy is a mental health profession that requires um, a master's degree um, and licensure to to practice it. A lot of people think it's it's maybe a certification or not on the same level as, for example, a licensed marriage and family therapist or a licensed counselor or social worker. But it is um, the same level of of licensure and education. Wow, I did not know that. That's fascinating. Uh huh. Yeah, and so there are a lot of therapists out there who who like to try to incorporate art therapy techniques, and they might say that art therapy is a modality that they use, but unless they have some specific training, um, ethically, they shouldn't really be calling it art therapy. So if you're receiving art therapy, that is from a licensed trained, um, professional who's, you know, gone to an accredited, an accredited, you know, master's degree program in art therapy. And so one of the, um, the big dip. And also, I guess I should specify too, that it takes place within that psychotherapeutic relationship. So that might be a given based on what I just said, but I want to emphasize that because there's also, in addition to a lot of other therapists out there saying they do art therapy and maybe they're not really, um, there's also a lot of things out there like adult coloring books that might say art therapy on the cover. I actually have something that someone gifted my daughter, some little coloring cards, and it says like art therapy in a box. But by definition, that's not therapy because therapy takes place within that psychotherapeutic relationship between the trained professional and the client. So we can engage in lots of fun therapeutic art activities, which I will get into. I love making um, these, these techniques that come out of art therapy accessible to others. That's what I do in my coaching program. We're not doing therapy in an online coaching program, but I'm sharing the techniques that you can do at home. So it's not to say you, you can't um, benefit from therapeutic art making for sure. That's my, my big mission is to make it accessible, but it's not technically art therapy. If it's you, you know, using your coloring book at home. Okay. Yeah. That's helpful. So in other words, if you were in a group and doing quote art therapy in a group, it's not technically art therapy, unless you're on a one-on-one with your art therapist or how does that work? Well, it could be group therapy. So there's group art therapy or a group workshop. I lead group art therapy workshops um, sometimes. So as long as it is led by a trained and licensed art therapist, then it is art therapy. I see. Okay. So how do you use art therapy in when you're trying to help people heal from trauma? 
Yeah. So what I always come back to is, um, the, the basics of art therapy, which has a lot to do with the art media. So a lot of people, you know, go into art therapy and they think, oh, this is just going to be something really relaxing for me to do. And, and that's the purpose of it, right? Like when you, when you think of painting at home as a hobby, your goal is that you're going to be able to relax, which is certainly, you know, amazing, but, um, but there's, there's more to it than that, as far as what, what media we choose. And so, so that's really the basic basics of it, which I would love to explain. This is my favorite part um, about art therapy is that um, so any art media we use. And when I say that, I mean, you know, the pencils, the crayons, the paints that we're using, it can be sort of categorized on this spectrum from fluid media to resistive media. So fluid is, is like paint. And I'd say maybe watercolor paint is the most fluid. And resistive media um, would be like a pencil, you know, like a regular number two pencil. Or if we think about 3D material, um, you know, hammering two pieces of wood together is more resistive, right? It's not fluid like paint. And, and there's everything in between. So a marker is in between, a crayon is kind of in between um, an oil pastel, which is sometimes called like an oily crayon. That's a little more fluid, soft chalk that you can smear the dust, that's more fluid. And so the reason why this is important is that the more fluid media is more emotive. It gets us more in our body and in our emotions and it activates kind of that right side of the brain in a different way. Whereas the resistive media, this kind of, this makes sense. If you think about it, it's easy to control. That helps us feel more in control. And so um, those of us who are a little more type A and prone to anxiety, we can kind of gravitate towards that media that's easy to control. And that can be really great. So if you've experienced trauma, um, you know, we have that high need for control, right? Everything is felt so out of control. And so we tend to want to be rigid and control our environments and those around us. And that can be a great exercise within um, this art making process to experience that feeling of control simply by making art with pencils, you know, I mentioned the coloring books, you know, if, if that feels good to you, there's a reason for that. It's because you, you, you feel comforted by, by that ability to control the materials. On the other end of the spectrum, sometimes like, like sometimes I like that. And sometimes I feel very restricted by that. And I just want to like scribble all over the page. Like it, it produce, it induces anxiety for me to try to stay in the lines. And so then it's helpful to, um, for the therapist to note that or yourself, if you're doing art, I hope you take this and can do art yourself with this knowledge. Um, it's helpful to, to then explore more fluid media. And what I'll do is I'll try to kind of inch my client if they're wanting to use those colored pencils and nothing else, you know, I'll try to gradually inch them towards media that's a little more messy, let them experience that. Um, I wouldn't say it's quite like exposure therapy, but kind of, you know, you want to expose yourself a little bit to that and see how it feels. And then you can clean it up and you can sort of rein it back in. Um, when I first learned this concept, when I was in graduate school studying art therapy, um, I had a background in art, a bachelor's degree in art, in painting specifically. And this was a huge aha moment for me because I remembered so many hours in my studio in undergrad sitting there painting and feeling overwhelmed and feeling anxious. And I loved painting, but I would just... 
any art therapist watching me would have known exactly what was going on. I was just lost in the paint. I just kept going and going, covering it up, changing it. And my, my professor had to come in and say, Jennifer, like this one's done. You can stop because I was so lost in the process and I couldn't kind of rein it in and make sense of it. I would often take the back of my paintbrush of the handle and just draw lines in the paint to contain it. And I didn't know why I needed that, but it just felt better to make lines. And then all of a sudden, then, you know, a few years later, when I learned about art therapy, I'm like, oh, that yes. was it. I know myself to be prone to anxiety and the paint felt overwhelming to me. And I need, I was naturally making those lines to help me feel contained and safe and controlled. And so that's the same principles that, that the art therapist um, or you at home armed with this knowledge can, can implement yourself to, to just pay attention to kind of um, intuitively like note like how you're feeling and like what would feel best. There's some days when I need those fine tip markers and it feels amazing to me. And some days where I need to finger paint. Um, also just in, in relation to, to trauma, when we're, um, we, we need to get into our bodies, right? So trauma is stored in our bodies. And I think the most effective trauma treatments, as we know, there's been so much more research in recent years, which is amazing that, that we need, we need to access our bodies. You know, there's so many effective therapies like EMDR and others that, that, that activate the right and left side of your brain. And we can do that with the art making process as well, whether it's through um, using the fluid media and then kind of reining it in and being more controlled or a process that I teach is, um, you mentioned when you were reading my bio, the, the um, spontaneous art making followed by responsive writing. So I always say we're connecting our feeling brain and our thinking brain. We're opening ourselves up with the emotions, with engaging our bodies with the art materials. And then we're pulling it back into our thinking brain by just responding, um, just kind of basically free association writing. And we do a sort of dialogue with the artwork where I encourage clients to, to ask your art questions um, and pretend it's like this other person in the room. And what you're essentially doing in that process is you're talking to um, different parts of your brain. So those are who are familiar with, with trauma therapy, we know there's these different parts of ourselves. We've got our inner child, our wounded victim from the abusive relationship, all these are competent adult, our professional part. And everybody has that, whether you've experienced trauma or not, but in trauma treatment, we want to, to integrate and connect those different parts. So I speak about it really simply, like I said, the feeling brain and the thinking brain, but really what we're doing is, is we're, we're bringing out those, those parts that have felt, um, you know, stifled those, those emotions that haven't been able to be expressed. They're coming out subconsciously in the art mm -hmm. and then through writing and response where that's a way that we're controlling it and bringing it back into the thinking brain. And it's amazing, even just doing that sort of free association writing. I mean, I'll often say like, what do you need? What do you want me to know? I'll ask the drawing that and I'll write down that question. I usually underline it to keep it separate. So I know what's the question and what's the answer. And literally the next thing that comes to me, I write it down, whether it makes sense or not. And I just keep going like that. And it's amazing as you write or after you kind of take a step back and read over it when you're done, um, it, it's exactly what you needed to hear. Sometimes, you know, like, oh, I knew that. And here it is in the art that confirms it. Sometimes it's something that wouldn't have occurred to you that day, but it completely makes sense. Um, and, and so, so it's, it's this beautiful, like loving, non-judgmental interaction between these different parts of yourselves. And, and I know there's so many other, um, 
ways to approach trauma treatment with art therapy, but that is my favorite is just to go back to the core of what art therapy is, that it's about the process and about um, how we, we use the, the art media. This is unreal. I think it's amazing. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. I'm like, I'm thinking I could use this. My daughter could use this. I mean, I'm just, I, I'm so excited about this. Tell yeah. us, um, tell us about how this has played a role in your own healing journey. Yeah. So as I mentioned, I, I was an artist. Um, I got a bachelor's degree in, in art and fine arts, not knowing what I was going to do with that. I started out as an art education major and decided that was not for me. I was not about, you know, laminating visual aids of impressionist paintings that did not fit my personality. And so I, I spent a lot of time, uh, you know, one whole semester of college really praying about um, what what to pursue. Should, should I continue with art without like a, a viable career that could come out of that? And I really felt God um, affirming to continue with the art and to trust that he had um, a career, you know, laid out for me that, that would be the perfect fit for me. And so... And then fast forward to um, several years later, after having some work experience with with abused kids and things like that and thinking, oh, I could use art to help them. This makes sense. You know, I started studying art therapy. And so um, and it was. And I'll, I'll be vague about some of the specifics as far as my abusive relationship, just to you know protect all parties involved. But but it was well after I had been trained as an art therapist that I found myself in this abusive relationship. And so I'd had other relationships that maybe you know bordered on abusive. There were some manipulate there was some manipulation going on there, some emotional abuse for sure. But but the, but this was um, this was the big whammy. This was the 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 very abusive relationship that really really changed me. That that, um, I thought I'd made all the right choices and, and had, um, avoided, you know, continuing this pattern of kind of controlling men and, and abusive people. And, and so after that relationship ended, I found myself like, like so many of your listeners have experienced where I really didn't know who I was anymore. My whole life had been centered around, you know, pleasing the abusive person, just very much the, you know, walking on eggshells. Um, everything was about, a hyper focus on their needs and trying to meet their ever changing expectations that I really could never meet. And so I, I was in therapy and I'd been in therapy before the relationship ended. And that's what helped me really name the behaviors as abuse and get out of that. And um, as an art therapist and as someone who identified as an artist, my therapist pointed out to me, she was not an art therapist, but, but she pointed out to me that, um, that I described being an artist as a part of my identity, but I really wasn't um, doing any art. And actually that's a part of the ethical code of art therapists that we need to be engaging in our own art making practice to stay in touch with that process. And so from that standpoint too, I needed to be doing art. And she challenged me in one session we met on Tuesday afternoons at one o'clock. She said, why don't you just make some progress over this next week towards setting up some kind of art making space in your new apartment? I had just moved, you know, was establishing, you know, my, my new life apart from this abusive person. And, and when she said that, I mean, it's, it's amazing how we just really need someone else to give us permission to, to take care of ourselves. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when she said that, I knew that I, I had this big plan worked out in my head for months, maybe even kind of years on some level of, of renting a small studio space for myself. And I hadn't had that since college. And that's a luxury that art students get is I had three different studio spaces at one point provided by the university for three different classes. And then you graduate, and you don't have that space. And so, um, 
there was a, there's an art center um, here where I live, where I knew they had small spaces that could be affordable. And I had obsessively like looked at their website before priced the spaces and thought about it, but never taken that step because I felt like I, that would be too big and risky, right? Like, who am I to like go sign a lease on a studio space? Like I'm not a real artist, you know, what would people think? Would they think that was a foolish financial, financial decision, you know, and financial abuse was certainly a part of my abusive relationship as well. And so um, when my therapist said that, I thought, oh, like I can do that. I am an artist. I can go rent a space. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're an artist or not. Like anybody can go sign a lease on a <laughs> space. Right? right. But I just thought like I wasn't worthy of that. And so, so her suggestion really gave me permission to do that. So literally one hour before my next therapy session the following Tuesday, I went to the art center. I already knew I'd looked on the website. I was like, I want to look at these three spaces. You know, I chose one, I signed a lease. And then I went and told her like what I had done. She was, you know, amazed. She just thought I would clear out a corner of the kitchen, you know? Um, and that's, so that's where it all started. And I, I would go to this space, um, using, you know, my knowledge and training of art therapy. I, I often joke that I was doing art therapy with myself, but as I already explained, that wasn't technically therapy because I wasn't with a therapist, but, um, but I would just go and, um, and paint and draw. And I worked really large. I remember my first drawing, I rolled out a huge piece of paper and taped it to the wall. So it was really comparable to my body size and just like walked along that wall and just drew with chalk and smeared it and did whatever felt good and um, really went back to, um, like I said, all of the basics of art therapy, that it's about the process. We're not about, and it's about the process and how you're engaging with the art media. It's not about having a specific end result in mind of how you want it to look. And that was kind of naturally how I approached art anyway. And so I, I went there and just um, spontaneously drew and painted. I finger painted quite a bit. I cried quite a bit. And at one point I remembered um, this, this responsive writing technique that I said I now use with my clients. Um, and it's a, and I've adapted it some for the online space and made it a little more step-by-step, um, -step. but it originated from um, what's called the studio process by an art therapist named Pat Allen. And she wrote a book called Art is a Way of Knowing and also Art is a Spiritual Path. Um, she actually, I believe, grew up Catholic and converted to Judaism. And there's a lot of that Christian Judeo um, um, you know, theology throughout, throughout what she teaches. And she, in art is the way of knowing she explained it's sort of like a memoir of her own art process. And she's sort of a rogue art therapist that was not all about, you know, art therapists in a clinical setting, like interpreting clients work. And she was also not all about the whole art school, um, mentality of critiquing each other's work and judging them. And she said, you know, basically like my approach, she said, you know, let's just, just make art, see what comes out. Um, no judgment, um, you know, listen, listen to what your artist saying. And so she called the writing process witness writing. So you're, you're witnessing your art and what it has to tell you. And she did this process within group workshops. So within the group, she encouraged her um, participants to read their witness writing unedited. And she had a rule called the no comment rule where, um, no one was allowed to comment. It's just you standing in your truth and allowing others to witness what has come out of you. And so, so wanted to explain that too. So I, so I remembered learning about that in school. I didn't remember all the details, but I just remembered that that had been impactful for me when I had practiced it in school. So I started doing that. I just started doing what I explained a minute ago, you know, 
doing that responsive writing, asking my art questions and benefiting so much from that. Um, then a couple of years later, I had an amazing opportunity to display all of this artwork over a period of like three years in my little dirty studio space, right? I had a chance to display that in a solo exhibit, which was crazy to me. It started out that there was this particular series of paintings I had created specifically to display where I was depicting in an abstract way um, what emotional abuse felt like. It was a series of nine little paintings and I wanted to display that. And then they said, well, we have more space for you, Jennifer. Like, do you have other stuff? So I'm like digging stuff out from like the corners, like under the chalk desk, because this was art I had just made for me, right? It was just my expression. And then I thought, how beautiful would it be to be able to share this with others? As abuse survivors, we, um, you know, it's so important for us to be able to tell our stories and to feel heard and seen. And so that art, art exhibit was called A Heart Made Visible. And um, it was it was a wonderful opportunity for me to um, fill up the gallery with these works of art. I had some of them um, custom framed and, and to see them, you know, put in a place of honor framed and on a gallery wall was such an amazing experience for me. And I had a chance at the gallery opening to to share some about the work. And another really important decision I made was I took. It was hard, but I found um, for most of the pieces, the responsive writing that I had written, my witness writing in response to those pieces of art. I found them all in my sketchbooks and notebooks, you know, scattered throughout my studio. And I hung those pages um, next to the, the images. And, and, you know, I edited things out like I wasn't going to include anything that had anyone's name or anything too personal. But it was really important for me to be as vulnerable and open as possible to share this process with others. And around that same time time, I was thinking, how could I, um, how could I share this with other women in a workshop setting? And so I, I led a few in-person workshops sharing this process and a bit of my story. And then, and then down the road that became the online coaching program that I now have. So I'm, I'm literally teaching this process that, that I went through that was so impactful for me. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's amazing. So fulfilling to be able to share, you know, that exact process with other survivors of abuse. Is this content resonating with you? I've written a book for women of faith in destructive relationships called Is It Me? Making Sense of Your Confusing Marriage, a Christian woman's guide to hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. You can read reviews and find out more about my book on Amazon.com. It comes in paperback, Kindle, and Audible formats. I've also created a companion workbook for Is It Me? also available on Amazon. This workbook is like 11 power-packed therapy sessions to help you process through the important material you'll be learning from my book. These books are recommended by counselors and therapists all over the United States. I've also got a website specifically focused on helping women of faith find hope and healing. It's called flyingfreenow.com. I'll even give you the first chapter of my book and the first chapter of the companion workbook for free when you hop on my mailing list at the top of my website. Those two resources are gonna help you figure out if your relationship is normal or destructive. And now, let's get back to our episode. Do you have a, um, a place where people could see those pictures and the things that you wrote? Do you have any place online or not? Is that just something that... 
I have a couple of those images on, on my website, on the, the blog area of my website. It's jenniferacramer.com. Um, I, I don't, they, they were posted, um, images were posted on my Instagram around the time of the exhibit. Um, but, but that's a great idea. I should go back and, and gather that again to have it all in one place, kind of a, a virtual, um, exhibit. Oh yeah. I would love to see that. Um, okay. What role does spirituality play in the practice of art therapy? Cause yeah, we, well, this, I wanna... Oh, I was just going to say these people are, this is a Christian audience. And so they're, they would be interested to know how that is integrated. Yeah. One of the things I love about art therapy is that in, in the actual definition of art therapy from the American art therapy association on their website, it's like a paragraph long definition, but they include that it is, um, art therapy is a mental health, um, practice for individuals of all ages, all different backgrounds, um, that it, it encompasses the, like the whole being, the whole person, which includes, you know, mental, emotional, physical, and spiritually. And I don't know, you know, I don't know the the official um, stances from other mental health disciplines, but I love that art therapy specifically notes spirituality. And, and definitely that is not um, a, one specific religion. It is not, is not Christian, but I love that there's the openness to spirituality in general in, in my profession. And so um, it's, it's incorporated easily. Something I love about, um, Pat Allen, the therapist that I mentioned, um, is that she also emphasized while she's coming more from the, the, the Jewish tradition, um, that's her, her belief system. She emphasized that not only is that, that dialogue with your sort of inner self when you're dialoguing with your artwork, but it's also an opportunity for your creator. That's the word she uses. And that's the term I use in my coaching program. It's an opportunity for our creator to speak to us too in that process. And of course that immediately resonated with me as a Christian knowing that if I'm, so if I'm doing any kind of self-work, learning to trust my intuition, to listen to myself, to listen to the other parts of my brain, that I have the Holy spirit dwelling in me. So that is the Holy spirit as a part of that process. You know, I know some Christians talk about, I mean, I think there's all sorts of what I would call toxic um, beliefs about not being able to trust yourself and not trust your intuition because you are inherently sinful and you can't trust anything about you, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that leads to a lot of manipulation and abuse within the church if you can't trust yourself. But, but, you know, hello, like if God's spirit lives, it dwells inside of me, then, and I am seeking that out in these sort of processes where I'm, I'm listening to myself, then that, that is a beautiful opportunity for me to hear from God, um, you know, in a, in a different way. And for sure, for me as a, as an artist, you know, I, God definitely speaks to me through, through visual images, through even when I described how back in college, I was praying about whether to continue pursuing art. The way God spoke that to me was through, I was praying in a worship service and I looked up at a blank white wall and envisioned like a mural on that wall. And God used that to sell me like pursue art, you know? And so I think God can speak in all those different ways. And so, um, I love that it's, it's kind of a given within the art therapy profession that spirituality will be a part of it. And so I, I know oftentimes Christians can be sort of leery of seeking out, um, 
therapy from someone who's not a Christian. But I would say, first of all, any mental health professional is is required to um, to support, you know, and they want to support your belief system. So they're not their goal is not to draw you away from your beliefs. They want to support that wholeheartedly. Um, but but within art therapy specifically, like I said, that that's a kind of a given that that's going to be a part of it. And so I think there's just more of this openness for allowing that in. Um, but certainly something that I incorporate into my process that we're, we're hearing from our creator as well. Yeah. I love that. Have you ever read, um, the artist's way by Julia Cameron or heard of that book? I have. It's been a long time though. Okay. Yeah. It's just, it's just making me think of that. I I happen to be listening to it right now and this is, it just dovetails perfectly with what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, she's got this book called, I'll just say it for the listeners. It's called the artist's way, a spiritual path Mm -hmm. to higher creativity. And, um, she addresses not just art, but like a lot of right. She's a writer, I think. So she talks about Mm -hmm. writing, but you do incorporate writing too, which I love, I love that. Okay. So before we close, um, well, two things, first of all, um, you said that you had some practical examples of art therapy techniques that people could try at home, even if they weren't able to, um, get together with a professional art therapist Mm -hmm. like yourself. So do you want to share what those might be? And then we'll talk about how they can connect with you if they want Mm -hmm. to. Yeah, first, I would just um, offer a reminder of what I said about the art media that that pay attention to um, to kind of your your mood in the moment and what what feels good. And this is a practice. It's it's a learning process um, to to trust your, your gut. I always say that within the art making um, process, that is the only place where impulse control is not required. You can go with your gut. There's not going to be a big consequence unless you're doing something crazy like spray painting the inside of your house and you're going to regret <laughs> that later. You know, um, there's not a lot of impulse control required. You can you can trust yourself and go with your gut and try something. So I would recommend having um, a little bit of a variety of media. Um, Fluid media, I recommend, you know, if you're new to art materials, just the basic Crayola watercolor tray, you can get it in the um, school supply aisle of your grocery store. Um, So that's an easy place to start as having, as far as having a fluid option. Then, you know, markers, crayons, colored pencils. If you feel especially adventurous, I think um, oil pastels, and then also soft chalk pastels. So give yourself this, this variety of choices. And then, um, and just be mindful of what you feel like you need in the moment and and be, be free to um, play, let yourself play and experiment. That's also something we kind of lose sense of in abuse is, is we don't feel um, like we can play and just be free. And so, so don't be afraid to, to be kind of, kind of childlike and just play. Well, cause you know what I'm thinking? Like, I think I'm going to make a mistake. I took a cartooning class because I must have some creativity thing inside of me that wants to come out. But I took this cartooning class and I was so afraid to try new things because I thought I I was going to make a mistake or that it was going to be bad. So like Mm -hmm. what you're saying, it makes me go, oh, my gosh, I could just do whatever I wanted to. I I mean, that just feels Mm -hmm. like partly it feels scary and then partly it feels like I want to. Like, I wish Mm -hmm. I could. Yeah. And if we just keep that mindset of it's about the process, not about the finished product. Now, certainly we reflect on the finished product, like in the writing, but it really is about the process and how you feel in the moment. Like if you, I mean, I just pictured like a, like a young toddler playing in the bathtub and splashing, they're engaged in the process. They're not concerned about getting clean. It's the, it's the process of just being there in the water. Right. And so we want to focus on that. 
And, um, and you know, the way, the way I first started doing this and even kind of back in college, I did this a little bit in a sketchbook, like in my little, in my room in college, but it's certainly in that little studio space after the abusive relationship, no one else had to see that I did eventually end up exhibiting it, but that wasn't the goal. It was just, so, so I think it helps to tell yourself, no one else has to see this. This is just for me. I'm not going to be embarrassed or judged. Um, this, this is, this is just a private thing where I'm exploring and playing. And so, so a practical example of something you can do is, um, a, literally a scribble drawing. So these are called feeling scribble drawings. This is really a basis of, of all like art therapists. We use this as a go-to. And, and I do this with, with every new client. I did a workshop the other day where, where everybody, the first thing we did was, was a scribble drawing. And, and this is what I do like on a, on at least a weekly basis. Um, last week I was tearing paper into a million pieces and gluing it down and scribbling on top of it. So much about the process. But so with the scribble drawing, you want to take a minute to kind of be in your body and, and breathe and think about, you know, how you're feeling and imagine if that feeling was coming kind of from your brain down through your arms, out through your hands, through that crayon or whatever your tool is onto the paper, how would it move across the paper? So if I'm anxious, of course, it's going to be a little more jumpy and have some energy to it. If I'm feeling calm or, or depressed, it's going to be a slower line. So you can think about the speed with which you're moving your, your crayon um, and also also the shapes that you're making. And again, there's no, there's no right or wrong here. Also think about what colors you choose. You know, if, if, if I love Brown and that's my happy color, you know, that, that might be depressed for someone else, but that's okay. There's, there's no right or wrong there either. Mm -hmm. So go with your gut and choosing a color, go with just, just how your body feels. Let, let your arms sort of dance across the page to express that emotion. Um, and then engage in that writing in response to it. You know, what are you, what's this red over here in the corner? I hate pink. Why did I use pink and write what comes to mind and just be open to, to exploring what has come up. So that's something really basic that we can use as like a feelings check-in with ourselves on a regular basis. Sometimes I do this and the whole process takes an hour or more. And sometimes I will literally make like an X on the paper. And that was my scribble. And I still get something out of that. Cause that tells me something about what I'm feeling. And again, I'm able to, to check in with myself. Um, I could share more examples if you'd like, but that's really kind of, kind of a good kind of basic place to start. Yeah. Um, well, our time's almost up. So, and I really want them to find out how, cause I know there's going to be people that are thinking, I want to connect with her. And what do you offer as far as like, I looked over at your app briefly and I saw it's, it looked like you had different classes, but it also looked like you had a monthly membership. So tell us about what your, what you offer and how people like, what are the different ways that they can get help from you? Yeah. So I have a monthly membership on my app. It's called redefined by Jennifer Kramer. And that is my, um, my, my kind of core program is included in the monthly membership. So it's a, it's a 10 week challenge called the redefined process where I walk you through, um, learning that art making and responsive writing process. And the goal is by the end of the 10 weeks, you, you are more grounded in your sense of self and your identity, because the core of everything I do is that I identified 
that I was disconnected from my identity, from my sense of self. And that was like the root issue of feeling stuck and still having so many emotional problems and not feeling like I could move forward after the abuse. And so, so the goal is to help you um, get started on that path to redefining your identity. So you can like, so you can dream big dreams and, you know, accomplish, I always say, make your daydreams a reality. So you can really start to accomplish your goals, but we have to get grounded in who we are first. Mm-hmm. So that 10 week challenge in the redefined membership, um, walks you, you through that process. As a part of that, I have weekly coaching calls where I answer questions. Um, every Thursday I'm, I'm live answering questions from the community. You have access to community chat with other members to one-on-one chat with me. Um, and, um, you also have access to schedule a one-on-one coaching call if you'd like, you know, additional costs, but you have access to do that if you're in the monthly membership program. And then I have, um, other just one-time purchases where I bundled together older coaching videos from a previous iteration of the program that were just left with no one, you know, no one could access them. So I, I have four different video bundles loosely, you know, with different topics. Um, one is art spirit self. That's the first one, you know, just related to identity. I get more detail into the art process. Another one where we talk more kind of about codependency and relationships, but on each of those, I give suggested art and writing prompts in response to each video. Um, so there, that's a lot of value, um, for just those one-time purchases for the video bundles. Also, um, something new that I'm starting just next month, depending on when this airs, it might be the next, the next group cycle, um, that we'll be starting, but, but I'm doing four week, um, workshops live on zoom. So it's not work at your own pace, like the 10 week challenge, but we're meeting together weekly for four weeks and, and doing art together. We're going to get a little deeper into some trauma treatment. Um, something I didn't mention earlier is bilateral stimulation, like with EMDR therapy, where you're, you're literally physically, you know, through buzzers or through lights, like activating the right and left side of your brain. We do that anyway, kind of with the art and writing process, but we're going to get into bilateral drawing in the live zoom classes. And so to put it simply, that's drawing with both hands at the same time, but there's, there's a lot of different ways to do that. And so I'm really excited to offer that for the first time, because that's, that's something we need to be live together on zoom to do. You know, I don't want to just send you out to do that on your own, um, in the 10 week challenge, the self-guided courses. So I'm excited to offer that. Um, that's a new, a new thing available. So, so many different ways uh, to engage. Um, but certainly my Instagram page would be a great place to start. It's Jennifer Ann Kramer and with an E Kramer with a K. And then my, my link in bio there is, um, is a link tree link. So it has links to, to all the other things where you can learn about the app and all of that. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much for being willing to come on here and introduce this whole concept. I had never heard I, I, I learned so much today that I didn't know about, and I'm so thankful to now have this understanding of what art therapy actually is so that I can, <laughs> I can talk about it with a little bit of intelligence now <laughs> and refer people to this episode too. So we appreciate your time and thank you to those of you who are listening and until next time, fly free.